Hi, and welcome to Against the Law. I'm Avi Hassan. And I'm Granny O'Neill. And we're here to talk about the law. The legal system. And a bunch of other crap. And so, this week, we're getting back on the horse. We've set a recording schedule. We're getting, yes, we're getting... We're in it. 2018 is our year. Yeah, it's the year of Against the Law. Yeah. We're against the law in 2018. Yeah, we all are. We're taking the world by storm. Watch out, Chapo. Yeah. <laughs> so, and Coming so for you. Today, we're going to kind of catch up, talk about a few issues of, of the uh, that have happened since the last time we talked. We haven't had a chance to get together for a while. And, you know, in the coming weeks, we're back on the horse. Yes. So I guess first we're going to talk about the miraculous book that was just published. Oh, yeah. Okay. And there's a very cute dog at my feet. Yeah, we're, we're joined today... By a with, special guest. We have our first special guest. With a special guest. In our studio. Named Herman, who is my dog. I keep and trying to call you his father, but Abby's very against this. No. I was like, well, what does he call you? <laughs> and Abby was like, he's a dog. He's in the mood I call now, which is what I call a, a bad hunt. So he's, he's, hunting he? for, he's hunting for objects to chomp that he knows that I don't want him to chomp. Uh-huh. Or <laughs> he wants your attention. Yeah, he just wants attention. He so, wanna go, but, oh, he's you. But Grani is here giving him attention, so he's yeah, happy. Yeah, I'm rubbing his head, and he's there. You can, can hear, you hear him. that. <laughs> That's so cute. He's a little bit. Of, he's a snorer and Aww. a snorter. He's a pug. <laughs> he's so cute. But this week we have a few. Right, yeah. We have a few things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Grania. greatest book. I think both of us agree. <laughs> I think we may be the only ones who really understand the book fully. But I really, it was like, it's like the sum total of my life's experience have have led up to this moment of this publication of this book, and I found it to be absolutely perfect. So we're going to talk about the book. <laughs> then we're going to talk about topics of the day. A lot of them about prison and and mass incarceration. And so, thanks for we're we're back. Yeah. We're here to produce a podcast. We're going to do it. On a semi-regular basis. It's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. 2018. We both read that book. The Fire and the Fury. The greatest book ever written. Yeah. I don't... It was know. like... It was all a book could hope to be, really. It really is amazing. It's it, the idea, you know, that this guy who's clearly like a twerp, you know, or just mm-hmm. like a creep. Yeah. But he's, it's one of those things. It's kind of like in that way that Trump is only good when he's yelling at his own people. Like this guy is actually the he, greatest person for doing yeah, this. Yeah. Like he's succeeding where everyone else, like that's writing about Trump or thinking about Trump or talking about Trump, is totally failing. Yeah, because it, he gets the he, it, it, you know, it takes a thief, right? Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> takes a thief yeah so it's so good and it's like you know i mean the fact that they can't dispute any of the facts they're just like trump's like let's change the libel yes yeah (laughs) i do my one of my favorite parts about the book though is like i mean or the aftermath of the book is the way that the first headlines came out about steve bannon and then like I don't I mean obviously Trump can't read the book cuz he can't read. I mean, he can't even listen to the audiobook. He's not going to ever know anything that happened in the book other than whatever first came out in the first snippets that came out before the book was released. Or what's on Fox and Friends or what Hope Hicks tells him apparently. Yeah, I mean, but Hope Hicks isn't going to tell him anything about the book. No, it's guess... going to be like it's a really good book that was written really nicely about you and everyone thinks that the book is great and you're great. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's right. <laughs> that's what she's going to say that's her job yeah we pay her to do that no i mean like so many things i i love this book because it it 
um, confirms my pre-existing <laughs> beliefs. Oh yeah, <laughs> but like it definitely confirms the, the con- you know the idea that that it's all, you know that when people when when Trump first got elected, I, it just seemed very obvious to me that we now lived in kind of it was about it. it the closest analogy historically would be some kind of king's court, right? Yeah. Like there's no, all it would be all court politics, Kremlinology. There would be no yeah. real cogent, like all the people who sit on TV and pretend that they're smart and know something are going to just be dumber yeah. than ever because it's actually, because they don't want to admit that, that power can actually be wielded like arbitrarily and capriciously. Right, right. right. It's the whole um, premise of America that power is sort of, we live in a democracy and, um, you know, we bootstrap so the strongest prevail and there's yeah, meritocracy. This, yeah, there's a meritocracy and. That the White House is the ultimate, like, you know, the West Wing or whatever, that the White House is the ultimate meritocracy yeah. and the best argument wins. Yeah, like, and people want to believe when that. When you're a little boy, especially, you grow up to think that anyone can be the president if they just just work hard enough and eat the enough spinach and <laughs> it's just gonna work out for you and um now we know but what, what i did love in the book was that like uh i can't remember what happened oh syria when um syria was invaded no when they launched the, the cruise missile at yeah. the airport yes they launched the cruise missile at the airport and they were and the in the book it was like this was the first crisis that was not of their own doing <laughs> it was like three months into the presidency and no one no one in the jester's court or you know had even considered that something could go wrong outside of their own like sphere of their feuding with the media you know like <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> like that- there was an outside world to the White House. But that part also was so telling to me. That whole episode in the book, the out, basically the story is that Trump was, I mean, I guess had some concept in his head that he didn't want to be invading countries and blowing stuff up like every other president did. Mm-hmm. And how basically the kind of national security military people just did a dumber version of what they do with every single other president and it actually worked exactly the same way it works yeah, with every other yeah, president. Yeah. And it's just like, they just had to make it really dumb for Trump and it worked like a charm. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's what they just like showed him some scary pictures of like, you know, in, you know, with a smart president, they say, you know, the, the human, like they give you a human rights pitch or like with like a, you know, a macho president, they, they you know, they, they 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 get basically pitch some story that is going to get that president. But with Trump, it was just like they had to they no briefings. It wasn't intelligence reports. It was just they showed him some pictures of sad children like 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 he's used to like a late night TV infomercial. Right. And right, like, right. In, you know, it's like intelligence as infomercial is how the kind of is, is how they're going to control Trump if they, if they, when they when can they need control, to him. control him. And, and, it, and the, the amazing thing is it worked like on it seemed like it worked out on the inside exactly the same way and then on the outside all the media would that was when they were like finally trump is presidential (laughs) yeah you know what i love is that most recently they said he was presidential when he had his meeting like with the democrats and they televised the meeting did you know about this it was like two days ago they did a trump pivoted again and they were like it seems that he's not mentally ill and crazy and he can have a meeting where he says like we should get rid of daca and we should keep daca and yeah, we should yeah. do all in one setting but i guess he didn't like froth at the mouth and pull down his pants so they were thinking that he was fine i mean that's basically the standard now and then the next day he comes out with shithole so 
It's just Ugh. maybe they could stop saying that he's pivoted to become presidential at this point. I, I don't know. I think that it's in their DNA. They can't stop. They want it so bad. I mean, we all like everyone would like it if he would become presidential, whatever that means. I, it's not, I don't. I can't. It does. I don't. It doesn't have anything. a meaning. No, it doesn't mean anything. He did say that he was friends with Kim Jong Un though yesterday. That was also buried in the shithole. I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, I, mean, I don't yeah. think he is though. But he could be. Oh sure, he could. He be. He could easily be friends with. I mean, he just needs to go there and like. Glad play hand. some golf or something and then they'll he'll be like hey this guy's all right i mean like you know yeah him and dennis rodman well that was the good part of the book when he was in saudi arabia and there was the orb and then afterwards he was like i don't know why obama had so much trouble with this this is so easy <laughs> <laughs> i just we weren't together when we were listening but i would just like pause the book and like cackle in a way that i've never cackled before <laughs> things like this because you just knew it was all gonna happen like this and like everyone's saying how it's it, oh i don't know if all of it's true it's I remember all of these things happening and I don't know whether what's in Hope Hicks's heart or whether Steve Bannon actually said that he was like Cromwell. But of course, Steve Bannon said that. Yeah. I mean, of course he said that. How could he not have said that? Yeah, no, it's it seems he it, was ushering in 50 years of Trumpism. <laughs> <laughs> like, of course, you'd compare it to the Church of England, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was a good book. Yeah, honestly, I'm reading it for the second time right now. What what else is standing out to you? I love Hope Hicks's relationship. Just the idea of you have this 23 year old who's just totally attuned to your every need. Who, that, yeah, who has no experience, no knowledge, and just is like no. It, it, it's, I mean, it, he, she's like that guy from Veep, right? Yeah, yeah. But she's giving him like substantive advice and and she's kind of saying what information he gets like in she's like part au pair <laughs> and part like communications yeah she's the communications Chief director director yeah i think she's the communications director but of I, our nation at this point. but i think her main <laughs> job is keeping him from having tantrums yeah yeah. And, like and she gives him his juice when he needs it. Yeah, but she's also controlling what information he gets. Oh, yeah, yeah. She might be the most powerful person in, <laughs> in the world. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean... I, I also did love the idea that Melania is giving him all of the stuff that, like, is negative about him at all. <laughs> and, you know, another... <laughs> you know, everyone wears a mask to some degree, right? Like, in, in some ways, everything is some form of mask or, like, performative... But like these people are, it really is preschool children cosplaying. Like, like yes. you know, it's like, it's like, chill, like dumb children just playing president. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, what is it? How is it possible? Right? I mean, that's what you wake up every day and you say, how is this possible? And it just keeps on trucking. So it's not all just trash news, right? No, I mean, of course, there's good news. There's always some good news. There's always something good. And not every institution is turning to crap. Some no, of them... I mean, well, most of them are. <laughs> but, you know, we have to keep keep struggling on. And sometimes things poke through like a flower in the cement. <laughs> so I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, kind of... <laughs> 
anti-mass incarceration DA. He called all these monsters in. Yes. (laughs) On a snow day. It was a snow day. (laughs) And was just like, yeah, by the way, you're fired. Yeah. And one of them was like, well, what happens if I refuse to resign? He was like, I'm going to fire you on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, what? They they like ran to the Philadelphia Inquirer. Oh, of course they did. So I, I think that what you see is Right now, we have kind of a culture of people talking about mass incarceration and talking about policing. And but I think at the same time, those who are in the fortunate position of being candidates to be a district attorney in a major city are not the same people who would really understand what the actual problems are with those institutions for the most part. I think it's very useful to have like an abolitionist framework on mass incarceration. Otherwise, you are just kind of cutting at the edges, right? If you don't have a vision for a better world, you're just, yeah, you're doing the thing 90 years instead of life as if that's... (laughs) Right, right. As if that matters or, or you're saying things like... You know, we shouldn't ask for bail for marijuana possession, which is something that Cy Vance has just said. And it's like, why is someone going through a criminal system for marijuana possession? And he said, we shouldn't ask for bail anymore for trespassing. It's like, what is trespassing? Why is someone being arrested for trespassing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, why are we talking about this? Yeah. And so... And and we're so deep into the world's largest you know, mass incarceration system. Tweaking the edges is not... So what, what do we want? Like, the world's largest mass incarceration minus one? Like, yeah, I mean, I think that that's what normally what they're doing. But, but everyone is now talking about reform, and they are talking in Manhattan about getting rid of cash bail for certain misdemeanors where it's not... Bail is not necessary to secure the return of the person. So, but... They were never supposed to be giving bail yeah. if it wasn't the, necessary. Wasn't that the yes, whole point? Yes, that yeah, was the way so, it always was supposed to be. It's like, yeah. oh, you're going to now follow the law? Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I well, thought you were enforcing the law. Well, now you're going to follow it for the first time? Yeah. So, but what Larry Krasner's doing, I mean, you know, I think it's it's probably the biggest experiment of its kind in this in this modern era. And I think it is good to see such a bold move, at least, up front and, you know, drawing the battle lines not already, right? Like district attorney's offices are very deep institutions and you, you're not going to change it with all these people. You, you know something about why he fired the people he fired, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, an expert at all in it, but it seems like he fired some of the veteran homicide prosecutors who had secured kind of suspicious death penalty prosecutions and who had kind of really pursued um, executing people who on 30 year old murders and things like that. Can you imagine like having your career ambition be the killing of another person? That's what defines your career. You don't know. <laughs> it's like impossible to imagine. But but that's the people he's firing. Yeah. Right? yeah like exactly. people who literally self identify as I see myself as the person who kills someone else. Yeah. When they're saying I'm a death penalty lawyer, they're not saying I fight to keep people off of death row. Yeah. They're saying I fight to put I mean, people on The death penalty is completely sick and, yeah. and absurd, but that that's who he's getting rid of. And, and they're running around screaming that the streets of Philadelphia are no longer safe. Yeah. And I mean, you have to remember that Philadelphia has a long history of police misconduct and extraordinary police power and a history of police abuses and of 
um, corruption in, yeah. in in terms of prosecutions. And so it's it's kind of surprising to think that you could have survived in that office for so long and not have had some of that like rub off on you that you're yeah. kind of high, withholding Brady. They have a long history of withholding Brady material. What, is, what does that mean? Brady material is a case, Brady v. Maryland, where the case stands for the proposition that in order to properly have due process in a court case against you, the government has to give you information that is in their possession that is exculpatory. It's been whittled down in many ways, but basically if they have information that would tend to show that you are not guilty or would tend to help you prove that you're not guilty, including impeaching the witnesses against you. So including any information that they have in their possession that would allow the defense to say, oh, you might be lying. You lied on this instance before. They have to provide you with that information. And withholding Brady happens all the time. It happens in every single case because fundamentally it's their job to ensure that they're not withholding Brady. We don't have the ability, we, the defense bar, don't have the ability to see the information that they're not giving us. So, for example, I recently asked for um, CCRB files for the police, and we, the government said there was nothing in them that was Brady. We finally persuaded the judge to look at them in camera. Now, again, I don't have access to this at all. In camera means the judge only looking at it. The judge only looking at it. And she ordered that if the officers testified that we should get access to them. So, I mean, they weren't charged with withholding Brady material, but they did (laughs) because they had this information. (laughs) They were going to call the cops, but they didn't call them because of whatever was in this file that I never got to see. So, I mean, that, but that's just kind of one thing. There's tons and that's of it like, that's there. It, that's also just amazing, too, because that's one of your classic reforms. The CCRB was a huge reform win, right? But anyway, Larry Krasner, to me, what was, I mean, I'm glad that he's the DA, and I think it was really exciting. But what, what I was most actually inspired by was this article I read about how he ran and how he organized his campaign and how he came to be the candidate, which was basically a lot of organizing from within prisons. Yeah, a lot of like grassroots community organizations and prison organizing. Like. Yeah, p- prisoners themselves organizing. Um, I Apparently at a green correctional facility, uh, which is a supermax somewhere in Pennsylvania, a lot of prisoners got together and they actually interviewed DA candidates. The DA candidates went out to the prisons because they sort of amassed a set of people, I'm sure they're female relatives, who were able to vote and were dedicated to voting the way that the prisoners wanted them to. So they amassed political power from within prison. And I just was very inspired by that because as we incarcerate more and more people, we eliminate their right to vote and their ability to kind of have a say in our society and our laws get ever more draconian and there seems to be more and more mass incarceration. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. And the only way really to break out of that, it seems like, is to reclaim some kind of political power. And they did that. Yeah, and the prison networks are real, right? Like prison networks, people, you know, share, you know, the information gets around through the prisons and people, you know, have visits and they talk to each other and, and, and have communities, right? And, and mm-hmm. so many people, specifically black yeah. Latino neighborhoods are 
small neighborhoods that are so overrepresented in the prisons. And so right, right. like the back and forth between neighborhoods and the prisons and, and through the prisons is a real powerful organizing network for, you know, especially for this kind of thing. Right. Yeah. But it's I don't think it's happened like this before. Or been well, this successful. Been like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know of electoral things. I mean, there's obviously like prison strikes that have been organized and 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 getting bigger recently. But but this kind of a prison-based electoral campaign. No, not, it's unbelievable, it's awesome. right? I'm just excited to see what happens. The applications are really interesting. I don't know if you've looked to apply to be uh, Larry Krasner. No, what 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 is it? It's just like write what you think we should do. You know, it's very open-ended. And he said that he has gotten hundreds of applications from all around the country, and a lot of them have been ex- outstanding. That's awesome. I just hope it works, because it's, it's so... We know how to keep do- building these things, but how do we dismantle these terrible institutions that are destroying us all? I mean, I think even more broadly than just district attorney's offices, there's so many bad institutions that need mm-hmm. to be changed. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, we have to build new institutions. But it's also interesting to see whether you can turn something like a DA's office into something that's actually like doing something good, something positive, right. And so I, I don't know. Yeah, I have, I'm just thinking about all the money, right? All the money, like they have so, I mean, because it's the money. It's, it's, no, that's yeah. what it's about, right? It's so much harder. Say you wanted to do provide mental health services for people who are at risk of being incarcerated under the current system, right? right. Like, say that's something that even the cops agree are needed, right? Yeah. But guess what? The cops have all the money. Yeah, right? there's no money for that. The DAs have all the money. Yeah. Right. So, in some way, it's an end around the budget right, to right, like right, right, transform right. To an existing organization. Yeah. yeah. Counseling, mediation, and healthcare. If you can just pour that DA money into that. Yeah. The DA and cop money into counseling, you know, and even cleaning up the city, right? Yeah. Like, and I always say that you need like a construction worker and a social worker just go around and clear up everything, right? Well, no, it's just like the whole like, thing, you know, it's like, like the, the whole project thing. should all have win- <laughs> fixed windows yeah. and light bulbs that work. Well, the whole idea and... is like broken windows policing. It's like they're, they're like, don't fix the windows. Like, no, why don't they we, don't. <laughs> why don't we turn the cops into window fixers? Yes, fix everything, make things nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's one of those things where. There are people who are staunchly anti-reform in the abstract, but at the end of the day, it's what you do that matters, right? Like what actually is being done to people. And if you can fire all the DAs and hire some good people, yeah, you know, you've actually done something that is, uh, I would say, not actually reform. That is actually like. No, I mean, what is it going to look like? Like, Are they going to reopen files? Are they going to spend their time re-looking at old files to find out whether there's people who are innocent and whether there's, are they going to re-look into people's files to see if they're, they got, you know, egregious sentences that they shouldn't have gotten? No, I mean, that's, that's. Are they going to meet, like, when, when there is a crime that occurs and they kind of know who did it, are they going to have that person meet with the victim and like figure out a way to do some kind of restorative justice like are they going to spend that money that victim impact money getting women housing and having helping them go to college you know what, yeah. what is what is the goal here because if it's not to put people a step above that's not what why we have this massive institution to make people's lives better yeah. right like that's supposed to be the goal of our government or supposed to be the goal of society we're going to make our lives better well, by banding together i mean that's what the da's will say that their job is to 
help society, right? But the job is to help society and the only tool they have is dynamite, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that is <laughs> like, like, they'll readily acknowledge, like I was talking to one about how I think we should do this other thing with on this case. And he was like, my job is to prosecute. That's what I do. Well, no, but I mean, th- I think that's a really interesting point, right? Why aren't there units doing exculpo- exculpatory work in, these pro- in, in the DA's office, right? Why isn't that part of the institution? Accountability. Accountability for past mistakes. Yeah, why don't they I, have I, the innocence being, project? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it's insane, right? After that Edward Snowden stuff, I thought, how much of that s- stuff, that surveillance, could be used to exculpate people who are wrongly imprisoned? Right? Yeah. Like, so much, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I have a client who is begging me to find these cell phone records from 2008, and I, you know, T-Mobile doesn't have them, but like... Does yeah. somebody in the federal government? I don't need them to have to have a search warrant and to have a clean chain of custody. I just need to see whether they exist and whether they will show that he's not guilty. You know what I mean? I don't need we don't need to have them be appropriate yeah. records from a phone company that were kept in the regular course of business like you normally do. But I just need to see. Can you guys look into this? Do you have them lying around somewhere? Yeah. Now it'll just be really interesting to see because so much of these systems they're just they're just driven by these kind of career ambitions and the metric to define one's career within the existing model is is sadistic. So how yeah. how do we change that? And, yeah, what and so, does the new thing look like? And I think that's true. I was talking to somebody else about this, and I was we were talking about the U.S. attorneys, which are kind of a pat- peculiar class because they're such high achievers you know and they do such a good job all their lives like they always sat in the front and they raised their hands and they're just continuing to get these a's and these a's now mean putting black people in prison you know it's like they did a good job at their firm you know they did pro bono work and then they came to the u.s attorney's office and now they're trying to get their a's again and once they're a's again what happens next is they get to be a partner in a law firm and then they get to be a federal court judge so that's their like path right yeah and their ultimate goal is to get on the supreme court not all of them are going to make it there, but they will all get their partnership and they will all hopefully get their federal clerkship, judgeship, you know, and that's, that's, that's the plan. And we're fighting crime in the meantime, but it's not really a, you know, they're not thinking about social justice issues, even if you kind of bring them up to them. That's not where they're coming at this from. So there's no, yeah, like, no, it's, it's a narrow no, like, track. Yeah, they're, they're not thinking about society and how to fix societal ills. Yeah. Even though they're sort of tasked with doing that. Yeah. I mean, and I think this is a broader problem kind of with the technocratic thinking generally, right? Yeah. That that when when you're only able to think in a narrow technocratic domain, you almost are certain to miss the forest for the trees. Right. And like we have a lot of really smart <laughs> yes. tree searchers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and they're, of... they're really good. I mean, they're very bright. Like, you know, we had this trial. We, there were probably six, seven, eight, maybe Ivy League lawyers in the room. No, more. Wait. There are eight in the room at all times, eight or nine. And, you know, then there's like my client who's accused of being somewhat involved in convenience store robberies where no money, like $300 was made. And, you know, it's just like you're sitting there and you're like, this is costing the government a million dollars to put him in prison for decades, which will also cost millions of dollars. And for what? Like, maybe we could put some that money into like whatever school he grew up in, you know, or maybe send him to college. I don't know. It would cost like nothing no, no. to send I mean, him to college so he of... could have a good job, you know? And it's just like the waste. It's incredible. It's it is incredible... amazing to think. Think about the ATF agents sitting there, two of them all like, it's just, it's wild. It is amazing it's to think. It's such like, a waste of money. You no, know, I mean, between that, like that scene 
And like, if you think about all the like math geniuses on Wall Street trying to like make a 0.01% increase, like, or some kind of, you know, programming, think about what we could do with all this braid power if it wasn't devoted to the most like just useless. Yeah. The like, law and like quants, you know, just like <laughs> these are my two fields. No, I know. I mean, exactly right. Like it's just like we're, I mean, I'm we're, wasting we're, my great brain. Here we are. Yeah, and here we are, just like like tilting at the windmills, <laughs> babbling away in our studio, in the apartment. But it is it, it is true that it, it it amazes me every time. It does feel like that more on when we work in finance. Like you do feel like you're wasting your life away more than even. I mean, I don't feel like I'm wasting my life away at all anymore being a criminal defense attorney because I'm like I have really significant, meaningful relationships with my clients and I try to do a really good job. But if you're doing that math, computer science, Wall Street stuff like finance, you just do just feel ridiculous. I did it and it feels insane. <laughs> and I would feel insane working at a big law firm for like helping Crest you know, Sue Colkey or like whatever it is. Like, I would be like, why am I'm so smart and so awesome? Why am I wasting these years of my life on this? Yeah. Uh. So that says bye. <laughs> bye, listeners. So that was fun. Um, Herman. Peace. He's a good boy. He's, He's a, a very dog. good He's boy. Good so that was fun. Uh, you can still, I've basically off Twitter, but if someone like, rep- if someone actually tries to contact me, I'll see it, but I'm not like, I'm not going to be posting a lot of content. Yeah, He's missing all of my genius posts. I know. I, I'm, I'm, but so uh, good. like, Abby, do you not know that I burned my nostril? No. I mean, this is crazy. That's, you know, honestly, that kind of thing, you know, people used to make fun of Twitter as like, I don't don't want to know what you had for lunch. But like for for me at this point, it's like, I want to know what you had for lunch. I really don't want to know your opinion. Yeah. Well, I had this terrible tragedy befall where I was cooking ribs and I was following these ridiculous instructions on how to make the best ribs. And part of it involved putting the ribs in my oven. And then I tried to take them out of the oven my Dutch oven in the oven. So mm. there's a Dutch oven inside the oven, which I am not a big fan of that in general because I like to have things cooking on my stove in the winter so that it heats up the house. Like that's like one of my raison d'etres of cooking. When you don't have heat. Yeah. I didn't have heat last weekend. I don't know. Side note, I have a terrible landlord. But anyway, so I was pulling the ribs out of the oven and fat splurted up and burned my nostril, my right nostril. It was a tragedy. Yeah, that is a tragedy. Yeah. And we shouldn't have landlords also coming soon to a podcast near you. Herman, what are you chomping? Herman, drop it. Um, But but n- nonetheless, you can hit me up on Twitter at Abby Hassan, A-B-I-H-A-S-S-E-N, if you want to hit us both up. Um, I'm at Grania. You're private, though, so... I mean, they can still... They can ask to be to, yeah, to follow you. Yeah, you can ask to follow You can me. ask to follow Grania, G-R-A-I-N-N-E. Yeah. And you can f- get us both at Against the Law. The first A is that. Yeah. And yeah, we'll be we back. Are. We'll be back soon. Yes. Thank you for listening. Bye. Say bye, Herman. Bye. Sorry, I always have to make dog voices. Herman, say bye. If you rub his head, he might snort into the microphone. Do it a little higher. 